Hello and welcome to the Idiot Book Nook Podcast, episode 52. My name is Blazing, my pronouns are she, her, and they, them. I am the Reading Dragon, and my pronouns are she, her. My name's Lady Punnett, my pronouns are primarily she, her. Sometimes they, them, today is a she, her kind of day. And I'm Kersha, and my pronouns are she, her, them, today is a she, her day. Excellent. We Look are doing chapter... You what? Look at all of us being sassy right? ethereal beings. We are doing chapter 37 of the Amulet of Samarkand today. This is episode 52 of the Idiot Book Nook podcast. If you would like to follow us on social media, you can do so at l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash idiot book nook. You can find all of our so all of our individual socials linked there. You can find links to the Twitch for uh, the Wednesday morning Twitch streams where we record our podcast episodes, which happen at 9 a.m. Mountain Time. And you can also find links to our podcast feeds, all of the podcast feeds that we have out there, up to and including Anchor, where you can leave us voice messages. <sighs> How are we feeling? We've got... Hmm, Eight chapters left. Yeah, we've got eight chapters left. How are we feeling, guys? I'm feeling good. Yeah? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. We're so excited. Cool. And we just can't hide it. Woo! I want to know what happens next. We are coming up to the end of the book. The You know, one of the most important parts of the book, which is the, uh, the climax, where the important things take place. You know, it's a culmination of everything we've learned thus far. Yeah! So, with that uh, narrator... If you would. The Bartimaeus Trilogy, Book One, The Amulet of Samarkand, written by Jonathan Stroud, narrated by The Reading Dragon, voice acted by The Reading Dragon, Blazewing 2010, Lady Punnett, and Crittershy. Chapter 37 Nathaniel. As he set the basket of eggs down on the nearest surface, Nathaniel looked around the kitchen for his intended victim. There were so many people bustling about that at first he could see no sign of the small boy with the dark blue uniform, and he figured that he had already gone. But then, in the shadow of a large lady pastry chef, he saw him. He was transferring a mountain of bite-sized canapes to a two-storied silver platter, it was clear that the boy planned to take this dish elsewhere in the house. Nathaniel intended to be there when he did. He sulked around the kitchen, pretending to be emptying out his baskets and crates, biding his time, and growing ever more impatient as the boy painstakingly placed each cream cheese and prawn pastry on the dish. Something hard and heavy tapped him on the shoulder. He turned. The head cook was there, pink-faced and glistening from the heat of the roasting pit. Two bright black eyes looked down on him. The chef was holding a meat cleaver in his pudgy hand. It was with the blunt edge of this that he had tapped Nathaniel. At least it was the blunt end. And go ahead, Critter. And what, asked the chef in a gentle voice, are you doing in my kitchen? Nothing about the man on any of the planes to which Nathaniel had access remotely suggested he was inhuman. Nevertheless, with Bartimaeus's warning in mind, he took no chances. Just collecting up a couple of my father's baskets. He said politely. We don't have many, you see. Uh, I'm sorry if I got in the way. The chef pointed his cleaver at the door. Leave. Y yes, sir. Just going. But only as far as the passage directly outside the door, where Nathaniel propped himself against the wall and waited. Whenever someone came out of the kitchen, he ducked down as if he were doing up his shoes. 
It was an edgy business, and he dreaded the appearance of the chef. But otherwise, he felt a strange exhilaration. After the first shock of seeing the mercenary at the gate, his fear had fallen away and had been replaced with a thrill he had rarely experienced before. The thrill of action. Whatever happened, there would be no more helpless standing by while his enemies acted with impunity. He was taking control of events now. He was doing the hunting. He was closing in. Oh boy. Light, tripping footsteps. The page boy appeared through the arch, balancing the double dish of canapes on the head. Steadying it with one hand, he turned right, heading up the passage. Nathaniel fell in alongside him. Hello there. (laughs) When else am I going to have a chance to do that? (laughs) Okay, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Hello there. He spoke in an extra friendly fashion. As he did so, he ran his eyes up and down the boy. Perfect. Just the right size. The lad couldn't help but notice this interest. That's the where, where, what? The lad can help but notice the interest. Er, do you want something? Yes. Is there a cloakroom near here? I've had a long journey and you know how it is. At the foot of the broad staircase, the boy halted. He pointed along a side passage. Down there. Can you show me? I'm afraid of getting the wrong door. I'm late as it is, pal. Please? With a groan of reluctance, the boy turned aside and led Nathaniel along the corridor. He walked so fast that the dish on his head began to wobble precariously. He paused, straightened straightened it, and continued on his way. Nathaniel followed behind, pausing only to draw from his uppermost basket the hefty rolling pin that he had stolen from the kitchen. At the fourth door, the boy stopped. There. Are you sure it's the right one? I don't want to barge in on anyone. I'm telling you it is. Look! The boy kicked out with a foot. The door swung open. Nathaniel swung the rolling pin. Boy and Silver Platter went crashing forward onto the washroom floor. They hit the tiles with a sound like a rifle crack. A rainstorm of cream cheese and prawn canapes fell all around. Nathaniel stepped in smartly after them and closed and locked the door. The boy was out cold, so Nathaniel met no resistance when he took his clothes. He had infinitely more difficulty in gathering up the canapes which had scattered and smeared themselves in every crack and cranny of the washroom. The cheese was soft and could often be shoveled back onto the pastry, but it was not always possible to resurrect the prawns. When he had arranged the platters as best he could, he tore his grocer's shirt into strips and bound and gagged the boy. Then he pulled him onto one of the cubicles, locked the door on the inside, and clambered out over the top by balancing on the toilet tank. With the evidence safely hidden, Nathaniel straightened his uniform in the mirror, balanced the platter upon his head, and left the washroom, reasoning that anything worth discovering was likely to be in the servants' quarters. He retraced his steps and set off up the staircase. Various servants hurried past in both directions, carrying trays and crates of bottles, but no one challenged him. At the top of the stairs, a door opened onto a hallway lit by a row of high-arched windows. The flooring was polished marble. The flooring was polished marble, covered at intervals by richly woven carpets from Persia and the East. Alabaster busts 
depicting great leaders of past ages, sat in special niches along the whitewashed walls. The whole effect, even in the weak winter sunlight, was one of dazzling brightness. Nathaniel passed along the wall, keeping his eyes peeled. Ahead, he heard loud laughing noises raised in greeting. He thought it wisest to avoid them. An open side door showed a flash of books. He stepped through into a beautiful circular library, which rose through two full stories to a glass dome in the roof. A spiral, a spiral staircase wound up to a metal walkway circling the wall far above his head. On one side, great glass doors with windows above them looked out onto the lawns and a distant ornamental lake. Every other inch of wall was covered with books, large, expensive, ancient, collected from cities all over the world. Nathaniel's heart skipped a beat in wonder. One day, he too would have a library like this. What do you think you're doing? A panel of books had swung to one side, revealing a door opposite him. A young woman stood there, dark-haired and frowning. For some reason, she reminded him of Ms. Lutien's. His initiative failed him. He opened and shut his mouth aimlessly. The woman strode forward. She wore an elegant dress. Jewels flashed at her slender throat. Nathaniel collected himself. Uh, would you like a prom thing? Who are you? I've not seen you before. Her voice was hard as flint. He cudgeled his brain into action. I'm John Squalls, ma'am. I helped my father deliver some supplies to you this morning. Only the page boy's taken ill just now, ma'am, and they asked if I could help out. Didn't want you to be short-staffed on an important day like this. Looks as if I took a wrong turning, not being familiar. That'll do. She was still hostile. Her narrowed eyes scanned the platter. Look at the state of these. How dare you bring such? Amanda. A young man had followed her into the library. There you are. And thank goodness, food, let me at it. He plunged past her and seized three or four of the most forlorn canapes from Nathaniel's silver dish. Absolute lifesaver. A famishing journey from London. Mm, there's a prawn on this one. He chewed heartily. Interesting flavor. Very fresh. So tell me, Amanda. Is it true about you and Lovelace? Everyone's been talking. What is Amanda... It? Oh, sorry, go ahead. What is it with the fucking prawns? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's obsessed with these prawns! Sorry. Nathaniel did some necromancy on the prongs. That's why they're so fresh. Necromancy mm. or, ch or glamour charm? Maybe. Either way. Anyways. Amanda Cathcart began a tinkling little laugh, then gestured curtly at Nathaniel. You, get out and serve those in the entrance hall and prepare the next ones better. Yes, ma'am. Nathaniel bowed slightly, as he had seen the parliamentary servants do, and, and exited the library. It had been a close shave, and his heart was beating fast. But his mind was calm. The guilt that had beset him after the fire had now hardened into a cold acceptance of his situation. Mrs. Underwood had died because he had stolen the amulet. She had died. Nathaniel had survived. So be it. Now he would destroy Lovelace in his turn. He knew the likelihood was that he would not survive the day. This did not worry him. The odds were stacked in his enemy's favor, but that was the way it should be. He would succeed or die trying. A certain heroism in this equation appealed to him. It was clear and simple. 
It helped block out the messiness of his conscience. He followed the hubbub of the entrance hall. The guests were arriving in droves now. The marbled pillars echoed with the noise of their chattering. Ministers of state shuffled through the open door, taking off gloves and unwinding long silk scarves, their breath hanging in the cold air of the hall. The men wore dinner jackets, the women elegant dresses. Servants stood on the th servants stood on the fringes, accepting coats and proffering champagne. Nathaniel hung back for a moment, then, with his platter held high, dived into the throng. Sir, madam, would you like cheese and prawn things, madam? Can I interest you in... He wheeled about, buffeted his... Buffeted this way and that buffeted. by a... Okay. He wheeled about, buffeted this way and that by a battery of outstretched hands that preyed on his dish like seagulls swooping on a catch. No one spoke to him, or even seemed to see him. Several times his head was struck by an arm or hand blindly reaching out toward the platter, or raising a canapé to an open mouth. In seconds, the uppermost dish was empty, save for a few crumbs and only a few desultory morsels remained on the lower. Nathaniel found himself expelled from the group, out of breath and with collar awry. Out of breath and with collar awry. A tall, lugubrious? Lugubrious? Lugubrious. A That's tall, a word, hold right. apparently. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I can pronounce words, but that's actually my first time seeing that. So, lugubrious, looking or sounding sad and dismal. Mm. He's Eeyore! It's Eeyore! God damn it. A tall, lugubrious-looking servant was standing near him, filling glasses from a bottle. Like animals, ain't they? He mouthed under his breath. Bloody magicians. Yes. Nathaniel was barely listening. He watched the crowd of ministers, his lenses allowing him to see the full extent of activity in the hall. Almost every man and woman present had an imp hovering behind them, and while their masters engaged in smiling social chatter, talking over one another and fingering their jewels, the servants conducted a discourse of their own. Each imp postured and preened and swelled itself to ridiculous degrees, often attempting to deflate its rivals by surreptitiously prodding them in delicate places with a spiny tail. Some changed color, going through a rainbow selection before ending with warning scarlet or bright yellow. Others contented themselves with pulling faces imitating the expressions or gestures of their rivals' masters. If the magicians noticed all this, they made a good show of ignoring it. But the combination of the guests' false grins and the antics of their imps made Nathaniel's head spin. I think that's sad. Oh, no. Are you serving those or taking them for a walk? A scowling woman, broad of hip and waist, with an even broader imp floating behind her. At her, and at her side, Nathaniel's heart fluttered. Nathaniel's heart fluttered. He recognized the watery eyes, the fish-like face. Mr. Lime, Lovelace's companion, with the smallest, most maladroit imp imaginable, skulking behind his ear. Nathaniel remained expressionless and bowed his head, offering up the dish. I'm sorry, madam. She took two pastries. Lime took one. Nathaniel was staring at the floor meekly, but he felt the man's gaze upon him. <sighs> Haven't I seen you somewhere before? 
the clammy man said. The woman plucked at her companion's sleeve. Come, Rufus, why address a commoner when there are so many real people to talk to? Look, there's Amanda! Bitch. Fucking hell. Should I try making that more bitchy? Go you for can. it. Okay. <clears throat> I gotta sit up for this. We introduce you to the amazing voice acting talent of Lady Punnett. As she attempts mm. to sound like a bitch. Come, Rufus, why address a commoner when there are so many real people to talk to? Look, there's Amanda. Bitch. Fucking <laughs> asshole. There's another word I like to say, but... Yep. Mm. The magician shrugged and allowed himself to be pulled away. Glancing uneasily after them, Nathaniel noticed Rufus Lime's imp still staring back at him. Its head turned at 90 degrees until it was lost in the crowd. The servant beside him was oblivious to it all. The imps were invisible to him. You finished that lot, he said. Take this tray of drinks around. There's, they're as thirsty as camels, with worse manners, most of them. Some guests were drifting off down the hall toward an inner gallery, and Nathaniel was pleased to have an excuse to drift off with them. He needed to get away from the crowds to explore other regions of the house. So far, he had seen no sign of Lovelace, the, am the amulet, or any possible trap. But nothing would happen yet, since the Prime Minister had not arrived. Halfway along the hall, the woman from the library was standing in the midst of a small group, holding court. Nathaniel loitered nearby, allowing guests to swap empty glasses for the full ones on, its tr on his tray. You'll see it in a few minutes, she said. It's the most wonderful thing I've ever seen. Simon had it brought from Parisia. Persia. Persia? Persia? Persia. Why isn't there a U? No, that's how Persia is spelled. I thought Persia was spelled with a U. Nope. That's weird. Simon had it brought from Persia. Especially for this afternoon. He's treating you very well. The man said dryly, sipping his drink. Amanda Cathcart blushed. He is, she said. He's very good to me. Oh, but it's simply the cleverest thing. I'm sure it'll set an instant trend. Mind you, it wasn't easy to install. His men have been working on it all week. I saw the room for the first time only this morning. Simon said it would take my breath away, and he was right. The PM's here! Someone shouted. With little cries of excitement, the guests rushed back toward the doors. Amanda Cathcart at her, at their head. Nathaniel copied the other servants and positioned himself respectfully beside a pillar, ready to be called. Rupert Devereaux entered, slapping his gloves together in one hand and smiling his half-smile. He stood out from the adoring throng, not just for his elegant attire and personal grace, which were just as striking as Nathaniel remembered, but for his companions, a bodyguard of four sullen gray-suited magicians, and more startlingly, more start, more startlingly, a Sorry, there's background stuff. You're good. Gray-suited magicians, and, more startlingly, startlingly, more startlingly, Startle a hulking... Sorry, go ahead. Hmm? Startlingly. There you go. That word I'm trying to say. Yeah, you're good. More startlingly, a hulking two-meter-tall afreet with luminous black-green skin. The Efreet stood directly behind its master, casting baleful red eyes upon the company. All the imps chittered with fear. The guests bowed their heads respectfully. 
Nathaniel realized that the Prime Minister was making a blatant show of his power to all his assembled ministers, some of whom, perhaps, aspired to his position. It was certainly enough to, to impress Nathaniel. How could Lovelace expect to overcome something as strong as that Afrit? Surely the very idea was madness. But there was Lovelace himself. Sorry. But there was Lovelace himself, bounding down the hall to greet his leader. Nathaniel's face remained impassive. His whole body tensed with hatred. Who had Lovelace? I believe I had Lovelace. Yes. Welcome, Rupert. Much handshaking. Lovelace seemed oblivious to the Efreet's presence at his shoulder. He turned to address the crowd. Ladies and gentlemen, with our beloved Prime Minister here, the conference can officially begin. On behalf of Lady Amanda, may I welcome you to Heldelholm the I may I welcome you to Heddleham Hall. Please treat the house as your own. His eyes glanced in Nathaniel's direction. Nathaniel shrank back deeper into the shadow of mm, into the shadow of the pillar. Lovelace's eyes moved on. In a short while, we will hear the first speeches in the Grand Saloon, which Lady Amanda has refurbished especially for today. In the meantime, please m make your way to the annex where further refreshments will be available. He waved his hand. The guests began to move off. Lovelace leaned forward to speak to Devereux. From behind the pillar, Nathaniel picked out the words. Uh, is this, is this a Lovelace or is this, this is Lovelace. Rupert? Lovelace. I must just collect some props for my opening speech, sir. Would you excuse me? I'll be with you in a few moment, minutes. Of, of oh. course, of course, Lovelace. Take your time. Devereux's entourage left the hall, the Efreet glowering at the rear. Lovelace watched them for a moment, then set off alone in the opposite direction. Nathaniel remained where he was, making a big show of collecting used glasses that had been discarded on the antique furniture and marbled pedestals lining the hall. Then, when the final servant had departed, he set his tray down quietly on the table, on a table and, like a ghost in the night, padded off on Lovelace's trail. And thus ends chapter 37 of the Amulet of Samarkand. Yeah. So, what have we got? Uh, side note, it's uh, Salon or Salon, not Saloon. You would need two O's for that. Listen here, you. But I say two it's completely a saloon. Different it's kinds a saloon. Being transported to the Wild West over here. I don't well, know. That, that was a horrible southern accent. I'm sorry. I'll never do that again. Europe and their fascination with the West. <laughs> oh my god. That is how we came to be. Oh my. Um... Yeah, what do we got? It's starting to seem like Nathaniel is learning some patience. We'll see how long it lasts. Mm -hmm. It depends on how far, because he's following a trail. But I think the patience is going to be really tested on how far he follows that trail. Oh, yeah. Because hmm. is he going to be able to, like, hold off? Mm -hmm. and not mm -hmm. do anything stupid? Mm -hmm. Or is he gonna, like, think that, like, oh, this is my moment, I need to seize it before I lose it, or something like that? Basically, stay true to form, uh, stay true to Nathaniel form. Yeah. Nathaniel! Yeah. Don't do the thing! Nathaniel does the thing <laughs> anyway. Nathaniel, don't do it! Nathaniel does it. Do it. It's like Greek mythology. Don't do Zeus, don't stick your dick in that! Too late. 
But that's not my- I'm not taking responsibility for that, kid. For God's sake, Zeus, I said slay the dragon, not lay the dragon. Zeus didn't do that. No, not to a dragon. Or did he? And we just don't know yet. Because it just hasn't been un uncovered in history before. He probably shapeshift as a dragon. I mean, he did shapeshift as a goose once. Yeah. Anyways. What do we got for the chapter? Um. So it turns out, I think Simon is using. Uh. Miss Amanda. Mm -hmm. Which is sad because it seems like she actually likes him. Yeah. Or at the very least, likes what he can offer her. Yeah. Yeah, she like, seems snooty, but like in a naive kind of way. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, well, she's well. Here's the thing: she is described as this attractive woman, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and from the sounds of it, she's also a magician. Yeah. So my guess is she's always been praised on her beauty, especially mm -hmm. if like her beauty was better than her her magic. Okay. Yeah. So she was always praised on her beauty. It's kind of like how if girls are more praised on their looks as opposed to their intelligence or their personality, they're yep. more likely to become a bit more superficial. Yep. And I think that's what might have happened with Miss Amanda. So that's why she might be a bit naive when it comes to other things. Or she could just be looking to like elevate her status since the fact that Lovelace is this like high-ranking ministry officer. And he is seeming to aspire to be the minister. Well, we already know he's got a plot to kill the prime minister and take his position that way. That's already been basically laid bare for us. I yep. don't think she's in on it, though. That's a possibility. She's, she does seem a little oblivious, not gonna lie. Yeah. Well, Unless it's an act. Well, it could be an act, but hear me out. Hear me out. She'd be laying it on real thick if it was an act, because apparently there's a room... That has been set up all week to the point where she wasn't allowed to see it until this morning. Mm. Oh, oh, mm, mm, fair. Mm -hmm. That that mm -hmm. that seems like a weird thing. Like, oh yes, he's been setting it up all week. I've been watching. This is in her own hall, by the way. Mm -hmm. He's been setting it up all week. I was only allowed to see it this morning. Yeah. Hmm. He... So. And what happened a few days ago? So, Lovelace yeah. doesn't trust Amanda. No. No. Un unless, unless, he is plotting, like, that whole bit of, you mentioned, uh, Lovelace is using Amanda. What if she is being used as sort of, like, a scapegoat, in a sense? And, Patsy, yeah. Yep. And also, the possibility he's probably going to get rid of her as well. Interesting thought. So basically, it's like a homicide-suicide situation. Make it look mm -hmm. like it, at least. Where Lovelace tries, basically makes himself look like he's trying to be the hero or one of the tragic survivors of the event. Counter theory. Mm -hmm. Amanda, although wants a social climb, senses something's going on with Lovelace. And that's why she laid it on really thick that she had nothing to do with the room for the entire week that was constructed and stated she only saw it that morning to give her an out. Interesting. Because my theory is that the room has something to do with the amulet of Samarkand mm -hmm. and that Amanda was only able to see it that morning because they finally were able to put it in place since they only got the amulet back. Mm -hmm. I believe in canon, like, Three, four days ago? I believe so. At, at the very least, three days ago. In the book. And we've seen that Jonathan isn't afraid to give, like, characters three dimensions. Yeah. Yeah. So right now he's portraying Amanda as this possible naive, snooty social climber. However, what if she's also a bit like, I, I want you use you to help climb my own status. I sense, though, that no magician should truly trust another. I sense something's going on that you're doing within my own home, so I'm gonna spin this story to mm -hmm. give me, basically, 
plausible deniability. Yep. There was something that caught my eye this chapter. Mm-hmm. <coughs> what do you think you're doing? A panel of books had swung at one side, revealing a door opposite him. A young woman stood there, dark-haired and frowning. For some reason, she reminded him of Miss Lutien's. His initiative failed him. He opened and shut his mouth aimlessly. Miss Lutien's has made an a Miss Lutien's name has made an appearance as, as a pulling at a memory. There is a reference to her here. Wait, wait, what? dark-haired. Yeah, Lutien's is blonde, like is platinum. Blonde. No, 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 no. The woman that um. Well, because that the, was the, no, no, the, 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 the woman that Lovelace was with that when Bartimaeus was first spying on, she had blonde hair. Remember, we talked about how she was like a blonde bimbo bunny. Let's yeah. go back. And, let me go back and take a look. Yeah, because this is supposed to be Amanda Cathcart that was introduced, and she looks and she reminds. No, this is a different woman. Amanda Cathcart, we is in the hallway talking with a group. This right. lady is different. We're talking about when this woman was first introduced to. Oh, Nathaniel okay, yeah. In the well, we, when we first thought that it was Amanda, though, because we thought the woman that Lovelace was talking to and socializing with was Amanda, was his like girlfriend, fiance, whatever. But it's but, this dark-haired lady that's Amanda, and she reminds Nathaniel of Miss Lutien's. I'm actually looking for Miss Lutien's. Keep on, keep on going. I will once I find what I'm looking for. I will. Um, I'll pop in. But this means that potentially, well, first of all, Jonathan Stroud doesn't seem to be the kind to forget these kind of, like, details. I mean, there's a difference between blonde and dark-haired. I have to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Okay, you go to the bathroom. So this means that not only is Lovelace a cheat, like, a, a possible murderer, like, thief and stuff. Well, not possible. He is a murderer and thief. He's also a cheater. Yeah. Unless, uh, she dyed her hair. Who would dye their hair from blonde to dark? Some people don't like having lighter hair. Some people want darker hair. Or maybe, and some people do the light to dark thing because it's healthier for their hair. Because they've bleached it for so long. Or they just did such a bang-up job of their bleach job that they had to go back to a dark hair color. Or, you know, they might have just wanted to change. Like, for me, uh, I've been bleaching my hair since 2015. And it's to the point now where I just have to touch up my roots. But I do that down to the scalp because the bleach has also been treating this condition that I've grown up with that I've never had looked at or diagnosed. And it's now to the point where I don't have to worry about my scalp anymore the way I used to growing up. But... You can see that my original hair color is a dark, dirty, blonde, almost brown-ish, but it's still got the blonde in there. So, from what I can see, I did a quick search for Ms. Lutian's name. Mm -hmm. And from what I can see, we don't actually have a description of her. Mm. We don't get a description of Ms. Lutian's. However, I pardon? I thought Miss Luthien's was blonde. No, the, the one that was blonde was the woman that was hanging off of Lovelace that when Bartimaeus was spying on him when he was getting the amulet of Samarkand. I will. I'll go back and take a look for that in a moment. But there is a line here. Quite right, Miss Luthien's said shortly. I am a commoner, but magicians don't have a complete monopoly on knowledge, you know. Far from it. And anyway, knowledge and intelligence are very different things as you'll just one day discover. Hmm. She admits to being a commoner. Yeah. I don't see... anything describing Ms. Lutian's physically. That is true. If we don't have an official description of Ms. Lutian's, and Nathaniel is being reminded of Miss Lutien's by looking at Amanda. I wonder if they're related. That's what I'm thinking too. But here's the thing. If they are relate okay. So most likely it could be 
Miss Lutien's older sister, because remember that um, children are taken from their families if they show magical aptitude at around five years old? Yep. And then the parents are made to forget? Yep. And then maybe Miss Lutien's is the younger sister and she just didn't have the magical capabilities. Unless she's the twin sister. Oh, that would make it even worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we've, we've had some bullshit already on this book. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't see an actual... Yeah, so... And Mr. Shroud, I, I mean that is the best way possible. The description that we have of Miss Lutian's. Pipes are liar, choral voice, or a system rattle. Whatever Nathaniel tried, his faltering attempts met with bellows of outrage and despair. It was a far cry from his drawing lessons, which proceeded peacefully and well under his tutor, Miss Lutian's. Willowy and sweet-tempered, she was one. Uh, she was the only one of his teachers to whom Nathaniel could talk freely. That's the only description that I am seeing of Miss Lutian's. Hmm. Willowy. Willowy. Willowy and sweet. Tempered. So, I'm imagining kind of more earthen tones and color on her. Maybe. I'm picturing like a cottage core Mrs. Honey. Yeah. From Matilda. Yeah. Fair. I can see that. So, how are we? Uh, uh, anything else we want to talk about with this chapter? That that Lovelace is a cheater, because. Because Amanda, here's the thing, I don't see him, I don't see Jonathan Stroud changing the appearance of characters this late in the book. Okay. And we know, because I remember we joked about the whole like, oh, it's it's like it's like a sugar baby, it's a blonde sugar baby. Da, 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 da. With Lovelace? And when uh, during the chapter where Bartimaeus Snuck into the house to steal the amulet of Sarmican near the beginning of the book. There was a blonde, like a bleach blonde, giggly woman. Yes. Hold on. Holding. From the security of the air vent, I peered with my multifaceted eyes into a rather traditional drawing room. There was a thick pile carpet, nasty striped wallpaper, and a hideous crystal thing pretending to be a chandelier, two oil paintings that were dark with age, a sofa and two easy chairs also striped, a low coffee table laden with a silver tray and, on the tray, a bottle of red wine and no glasses. The glasses were in the hands of two people. One of them was a woman. She was youngish. She was youngish for a human, which means infinitesimally young, and probably quite, quite good-looking in a fleshy sort of way. Big eyes, dark hair, bobbed. Okay. Oh. Never mind. She has dark I could have sworn she was blonde. I could have sworn she was blonde. Human, memory, the is, human memory is one of the most untrustworthy things that we know of. Oh, I think it's because I had this idea of, like, uh, a gold digger. And a sad stereotype with gold diggers is usually they're very voluptuous, blonde-haired women. Because that is what a beauty standard is. The woman gazes at Lovelace with um, spaniel eyes so wide and silly with adoration that I wanted to bite her. <laughs> and the next line, it will be the most magnificent occasion, Amanda. He calls her by name. Okay. Okay. Alright. So, yeah. Human memory. Not so good. Well, he may be a murderer and a thief, but he's no cheater. But is that his only saving grace? That's that sadly is his only saving grace at this point, and the fact that apparently he's somewhat good-looking and has a good-paying job. Apparently, that's enough for some people. Like, yeah, he's a murderer and he's a thief, but he can pay for us to go on vacation every other year, and he's somewhat good-looking. But is he empathetic to your needs? I mean, Amanda seems to like him. She thinks seems to think this whole room thing is for her or whatever. Like if she felt like it was supposed to be like, I don't know, like part of the surprise. I think the room with chandelier is the room that everyone's going to be in, by the way. <laughs> and the only well, thing that remains in place is that goddamn chandelier. Wait, wait, hold on a second. So throughout that whole chapter, correct me if I'm wrong, but Bartimaeus didn't get any feelings that she was acting right. 
Not that I it's, saw. I don't. It wasn't I don't explicitly pointed out. And Bartimaeus is usually the type of person that's not afraid to point it out. Like I could tell that he was lying through his teeth, or I could tell from the twitch in his eye I was starting to annoy him. Say what you want about Bartimaeus. He's a dick and can be a downright asshole, but he doesn't lie, and he is fairly perceptive. Oh, yeah. So he that actually, makes this worse. He actually perceived when first introducing Ow. Amanda in that earlier chapter that she was kind of hammered. Like, she was having a good time. And enjoying her alcohol. And she oh. was in a more loose state than... Yep. The, um, Lovelace? Lovelace? Yeah. Guys. Yeah? yeah. That means that she actually likes him. Yep. yep. She likes... Like, she might downright love him because she blushed. It's hard to force yourself to blush. Yep. And she could have... Or at the very least, she likes the person that he's presenting himself to her as. Yeah. Oh, that's even worse. Like, poor girl. This, this, Yeah, like I said, he's probably using her as the scapegoat and then about to Ow. frame her for the either demise or the attempt of demise on the minister. I mean, like, it is her place, like you said. Yeah, it's her place she he basically and she's also of it seemed like she's of a higher position than he is so he was buttering up to her to basically use her for her place for this room and all of the stuff that she's allowing him to do was because of his meanderings and mm -hmm. social and emotional manipulation he did address her as Lady Amanda, which mm. says that, well, it could have just been like, oh, yes, my good lady. I think, though, in this case, though, he was actually addressing her, so I think she might actually have a title. Mm -hmm. Given which, the setting and how he introduced her, that does make sense that she would be like an actual yeah. lady. So it makes me wonder, does being a lady or a outrank a ministry worker? Yeah. Uh, yes. So having a title would outrank a ministry worker because if you have a title, there the title itself denotes either high-end government or, uh, given that we are currently sitting in the UK, royalty. Mm. It means you're part of peerage, and peerage is a higher is like the like you have like your ministry government, and then you have like your peerage lords. Yes, uh, lords like and ladies. house things. Yeah. So that means that. Hmm. That that kind of shows how reckless Lovelace is being again, because it's one thing to frame like an apprentice mm -hmm. that got too cocky. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is another thing to attempt to frame a lady or a lord mm -hmm. of high standings for attempted murder or attempted assassination in this case, due to yep. the fact that the prime minister is a political figure. Believe that, also, believe that's tre uh, I believe that's treason, actually. Yeah, it is. It also shows, though, that um, it depends if Amanda has ever shown an interest in being a prime minister. Because here's the thing: picture, if you will, this mm -hmm. Lady Amanda is completely fine with her position. She is comfortable with it. She has never shown any ambition to be anything above her or even if she did not to the level of prime minister maybe she's just fine with being a lady and controlling her small bit of land all of a sudden per someone saying she attempted to assassinate the prime minister mm -hmm. unless there was some pre-existing history with the prime minister that we don't know we of. we don't know that yet we're going off what we know so far about amanda and to this point we don't know a lot, so I'm going off the pre-notion that we don't know enough about her to the point where she is relevant enough to the story. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go with this notion, until proven otherwise, that she doesn't have any ambition to be, like, the Prime Minister. Maybe she wants to be, like, Mrs. Lady Lovelace. Or Maybe she's found this guy 
seems interested in her, who, to, from what we've seen, has never taken advantage of her, even when she was in that drunken state. He, like, made sure he got that she got into the carriage okay before they went out to do the thing they were doing in the earlier chapters. Um, baby, she's just like, I found somebody who I can marry, who will, like, give me companionship, even though we can't have kids, because the rules of, like, mm-hmm. the land. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what she wants. Maybe she wants to find... Maybe that's her ambition right now, is to find a partner and have someone to, like, hang out with. Well, wow. Maybe true love. Maybe it's just fuck buddies or whatever. Wow. True love. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I'm sorry. I love that movie. It's Mm. such a good movie. Anybody else? Ah. Critter, any other thoughts? Uh, no, I think everything that could be covered has been covered in this one. Again, just more build-up. We're, we're definitely, like, setting the scene, getting a sense of who's all gonna be there, mm-hmm. and, like, the, the stakes are mounting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, steak. Steak sounds so all right. Well. Right. I guess that brings us to the end of episode 53 of the Idiot Book Nook and uh, chapter 38 of the Amulet of... Or sorry, chapter... Sorry, I, episode I, 50... I, sorry, go ahead. I do have one small complaint. Yes. Mm. There were, there are no animals for the introvert to hang out with at this party. What are the introverts supposed to do at the party if there are no animals? <sighs> Socialize. No! What was that critter? I don't know if they're allowed. I said hang out with the wait staff. Yeah. I, mean, look I don't at, know if they're allowed. I mean, look at what Nathaniel's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I guess that brings us, sorry, to the end of episode 52 of the Idiot Book Nook and chapter 37 of the Amulet of Samarkand. Uh, once again, thank you guys for joining us. We are coming up to the end of our book here shortly. Uh, I think we have one more episode for today's session, and then we... Uh, we're going to call it. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do so at linktr.ee slash idiotbooknook. You can find all of our socials. You can find our podcast feeds. You can find a place to leave us voicemail messages. Um, you can find links, the link to our Twitch if you want to join us on Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Mountain Time. But this is where we're going to leave it. And, um... Yeah, for the Idiot Book Nook, I'm Blazewing. I am the Reading Dragon. I'm Lady Punnett. I'm Critter And we will see you guys next episode. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye! Bye-bye.